Hey! Hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. It's TIFF time, and my guest for the first of our 2020 Toronto Film Festival episodes is Charles Officer, an actor-turned-filmmaker who's done some very powerful work in the documentary realm, with projects including The Skin We're In, Unarmed Verses, and The Invisible Essence, which is a really great little picture about the impact of The Little Prince on generations of artists and dreamers. Achilles Escape, his first feature drama since 2008's Nurse Fighter Boy, stars Saul Williams as a mid-level drug runner trying to reclaim some stolen merchandise after a robbery goes sideways and maybe save a kid from going down the same path that swallowed his own future. It's a really smart spin on the gangland thriller, and it's making its world premiere at TIFF this Saturday, September 12th, at the West Island Open Air Cinema at Ontario Place. It's also screening at the TIFF Bell Lightbox Sunday, September 13th at 9.15pm, and as of 6pm Tuesday, September 15th, it'll be available to stream across Canada on Bell Digital Cinema. Charles picked Carlito's Way, Brian De Palma's 1993 gangster thriller starring Al Pacino as a recovering criminal doing his best to go straight in 1970s New York, only to find himself pulled back into the life at every turn. Penelope Ann Miller co-stars as the old flame who could be Carlito's salvation, and Sean Penn is his wildcard lawyer, David Kleinfeld, who got him out of prison and won't stop holding it over him. People get shot. It's that kind of picture. This is someone else's movie. When I think about Carlito's way, initially, the first time I saw the film, it was, um, it was, you know, it was, it was many years after it came out, because I, you know, I was a Pacino fan, but I wasn't really in I was watching films, but not really in the way of like learning about things. And, um, but as I entered into, um, you know, exploring uh, acting and film, you know, Sean Penn became this, this, this total icon for me. Um, And I know about him as when I was younger and stuff, but then I start to read it here, read about his process and, and, and his choices. And I start to study like all of his work from, um, you know, um, uh, um, state of grace to like everything like just all these other all this work um and then you know i'd always loved you know pacino to a degree but i was but my entry point to clear way was was really sean penn hmm. and <clears throat> ended up watching this film for the first time and 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 i was just blown away by the storytelling of it the characters the um you know, uh, this idea of um, loyalty and, you know, I, I, I love crime dramas and, you know, the idea of these, this idea of, you know, um, trying to get out of something and, and getting sucked in, this sort of idea, but, but there was something different about it and, and that relationship between, you know, um, Gail and, and, uh, and, uh, and Carlito, it was, it was just, there was something just so beautiful about that. And when you're, when you're at that early stage of exploring cinema and film and, and actors and, 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 and that freeness. And, and I just was like blown away by, by everything of it, you know, John Leguizamo and, you know, Benny Blanco from the Bronx and all these sort of elements that I just found, found just moving for me. And, and, um, and, uh, and yeah, so it was just, something that I that stayed with me and as I got older there was you know uh, my name is Charles and then you know I'd go to Cuba and people started you know I'd go there with a camera and I'd just go into these neighborhoods and they started to call me Loco Colito 
and uh and i'm like why do you guys think i'm crazy i'm just exploring but um and i just felt like that 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 i that there was just something about this this character that i just really felt like I really, in my imagination, felt like this is me. <laughs> I'm stuck in this sort of world, and I'm trying to get out, and I don't even, you know, and and um, and just trying to find my way, and just this this idea of escaping a paradise, and you know, you know, seventy five grand, you know, there's just something about these sort of elements that, for me, that that I just, I just loved, I just loved it. And um, yeah, and, and, and it wasn't because I was, I was on this, on this ramp of, 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 it's fascinating how you find things, you know, um, mind you point and, and just being a student of trying to study th something and then finding this film that's just managed to stay with me. And, and um, yeah, and there's, yeah, and there's, there's definitely influences that I, that you can find in, uh, in Akiwa's Escape. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, we will go into the plot because I don't want to spoil it for anybody out there, but the, it's, it's a, there's a mentorship thing that's going on. There's a, a, a sort of grudging mentorship thing that is sort of the polar opposite of what's going on between Carlito and Benny, who just wants to be recognized and gets pushed back every time. Um, and, but there's a larger thing, like it, it hit me watching Achilles Escape that, oh yeah, this is about someone who works his own thing, who's, who's navigating a, a, an underworld for his own purposes that's very similar to what Carlito is doing. And uh, uh, it, its um, trajectory is fairly similar in terms of going deeper and deeper and deeper uh, stage by stage into the, like, the halls of power keep opening up as, yes. as he keeps pushing forward. Absolutely. And, I, and, and, um, and it's... Uh... It's fascinating when I when I I think of, you know, um, again there's like these characters that we see that are involved in crime and and um, but to see uh, you know another side of them you know that, that and and obviously Pacino doing that is 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 something you know I think he he puts on a master class you know um, in these moments and you know when I think of these details of just. You know, he's in the club and, and Gail comes up and, and they're having that first first drink there and um and he's has this reaction. She feels it about about um that she's being judged or something. And there's moment and she just she just kind of says, Have you ever killed anybody, Charlie? you know? And it's just like and his reaction to that, you know, he can't answer that and he knows that and and it's just and and just their play and and it's um these ideas of, of 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 this character that's that's been in this world, but then trying to find his own self governance, and I think that's a theme that I that that I that I like. It's like when you're in this world and you do see that there's another space for you, and also you know the idea of when you get older, do you you know um, what catches up, what can you and can you not escape, you know and. Yeah. And um, and is it the idea that when you get older you slow down, or or do you act, actually really change? And and these are these questions that I ask, you know, even internally for myself of like the attitudes or my perceptions of things, and um, how do they evolve? And 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 what's your dream? You know, and maybe if he had a dream of going to uh, you know paradise or some other place, you know, twenty years ago, maybe 
maybe he couldn't have seen that dream until he experienced this other, you know, these years in, 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 in prison. And um, so I do love that. And this sort of doubt from your best, from the guy you're most loyal to. And Sean Ben's just like, you want to do what? Yeah. Forget about it, man. I got something. Let's, let's get back to real business here. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that idea of that, you know, he's so slimy in it, you know, but like, and this guy's just like, blindly loyal to this to his friend he owes him he owes him and 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 these sort of questions of like you know finding your way and 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 again it comes back to how do you self-govern and and um i love those themes i was really surprised i was just doing a little bit of reading on it just to catch myself up on the on the production because i know it took a while Uh, pacino apparently first heard about it in the 70s when uh, edward torres was writing the book and it took 25 years almost, to, or 20 years, I guess, to make it. And um, De Palma, when he came on, wanted to do it as a proper noir, like a serious, steeped New York 1970s film noir. And that is not what we got. Right. But the mechanics are still noir, right? Like the loyalty to the partner who's going to betray you and the, the the distrust of anyone who doesn't like live in your world and the way he's drawn to Gail because she offers an escape, even if, you know, he's twice her age and it doesn't actually matter. She sees in their old souls together. There's a, the Maltese Falcon thing going on in there, which I found yeah, really interesting. Yeah. That's so, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. But the execution is so not that. And it's, yeah. it's fascinating to watch the movie kind of argue with itself over what tone it wants to be. Cause it like it knows it is it's a coherent tone and it is the diploma with a budget doing whatever the hell he wants because exactly. he knows like he's got it but his operatic inclinations actually work really well for Pacino's I, I think this may be heresy but I think it's a better fit than Scarface was as a collaboration because Scarface there's nowhere to go but up like it starts at an eight and it just keeps climbing that's right and here Pacino's older he's just come off Sin of a Woman so he's already done all the shouting and now it's like he's tired and just wants to take it easy for a role and it's this elder he's not a statesman right like he has standing but he's not a a, he's not a capo or anything major in the in the world that he's negotiating he's he's a soldier yeah went to prison and is now trying to do right by by his friend by like to, to fix things and make things better but he he's he's so conscious of when to raise his voice in this one that really struck me because this is like a long time after we stopped expecting that from Pacino it's a really controlled voice a really controlled performance for all of the excess of the film he's kind of the calm center or the panicked center and that was something I, I like I didn't remember that from the first time I saw the film in the 90s it's just it's a way more mature performance than I remembered it being, which is great. And I think it's just that all of those subsequent Pacino performances has kind of overwritten it in my mind. Right. Uh, but it's Penn who does all the big stuff. And right. He's the one with the fright wig hair and the, yes. like, I, and I also discovered, and I love this, that Alan Dershowitz threatened to sue because he thought he was being defamed. I didn't know that. It's apparently it's true. He never did follow through with it, but he was he was publicly criticizing the film for ripping him off. And you're like, yeah. how self-absorbed do you have to be to think that? <laughs> it's like the song isn't about you, my man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is three years after Reversal of Fortune, and apparently he was still very protective of his image or of the idea of himself as a crusader rather than a, a coquetted idiot. Um, which I can understand someone being upset yeah. about that, but it's like it's so clearly not what Penn is doing. Penn is, Penn is doing like a John Cazale, David Paymer sort of thing. 
Exactly. Yeah. But it's not him either. Like it's so not Penn that it's really, really interesting. It's really interesting. And that's what I love about his transformation because it's not really, you know, it's that transformation that he's able to achieve and, and, and how he sinks into that and just reading about his process and like how painful it is for him to do that at times. And that's mm-hmm. even why he left acting for a while. And, and, and that's a, that's, it speaks to a commitment and what I understand, you know, I love that those, that those are inspiring stories of an artist who's that committed that it's sometimes it's painful, you know, um, yeah, and prepare yeah. to go there. Um, but at the same time that like, I think it's what you brought up is so stunning because Pacino in Carlito's way, like you see, you see the theatrics of the actors around him yeah. and, and the size and he just adjusts. And it's just like, even when in that scene, when he's watching Gail and the, and the, and the, and she starts dancing with, with the mafioso dude and Penn's like, just getting all itchy. Like he's got his hands on her ass and blah, blah, blah. And he wants you to do something. He's just like, they're dancing, man. They're just dancing. And it's just like, that's cool. Like he knows he's confident, he's got a plan. And it's just like, this is life happening around him. And I, yeah. and I feel like there's, there's something again, like he is older, he doesn't have to ramp it up. He can sit in it. And that I think is that he's relaxed. Even in the tense moments, you see that, that, you know, that amazing scenes through Grand Central, you know, um, and, and how that's going down and, and um, you know, trains. There's a little yeah. bit of a connection there, right? Yeah, um, I saw that. Trains are something that were so prevalent in my life. Like when I was a kid, my mom, you know, left Jamaica, ended up in New York. And in the summers, we could take the train to New York and hang out with her, with uh, my uncle and spend some time. And And I love the train. And I've and I've always felt like that was this mode of like, you know, if you can, you can, you know, you can either hop on a train and stow away or pay X amount of money on t- for a ticket and you can just get it go away you know it's it's more accessible for people who can't fly <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then it goes back to even like the history of like railway porters you know and the idea of network and the, that that place and and I love that 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 whole sequence happened on the train and I won't lie um in an early draft of of uh Aquila's Escape I had this whole thing that happened in the subways uh that I only ended up having to pull um because it was just too expensive and I, we, we, to get those permits, but we did end up shooting in the subway in New York and stuff uh, to some degree. But, but that was, I, I love those elements of, um, of how De Palma even just staged that sequence, you know, um, the escalators using that space and it's grand central, man. If you like, you know, for me as someone who, as a kid went through that station quite a bit walking through and just the, the first time I can remember walking through this place and like, you know, from, from getting on in Toronto and, and you know, at union station and then going into Buffalo and then getting changed, switch onto the Amtrak and then going in and then coming into grand central station, in New York, and then you're sleeping so much and going through these hours and then you wake up in this place and there is a slight similarity and I was so young and I'm like am I in the same place no this is but it kind of looks like in Union Station where's stations and this train we got here and it was just this 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 magical attachment I have with trains and getting away you know um and yeah and Carlito just I love what you brought up about um the noir 
and uh and that's what i felt it was and i didn't you know i'm just learning about this language and i think that was like this is what i i dig but it's not in this this traditional form and and you're taking it and you're doing it but it has all the elements of that and i was like huh i wonder one day if i could do something like that i wonder what what i could do you know that also takes a little bit of those ideas and just makes it a little bit like maybe people are like is it or isn't it like you know um and i feel like you know when you're young and you're going through that exploration of what cinema is i think you're you know sometimes maybe it's naivete or maybe it's like you know you're a little too cocky or whatever you think you know it all but but you you think you can you know reshape genre reshape a form of cinema that's new and and break something out but um but there's something to be said about um you know i'll be honest i'm not a massive fan of de palma's work i am not um yeah, but i mean I, it's piecemeal for me as well there's some that i love and some yeah. that i just don't need to ever see again exactly and then it's like you know this one i feel like oh yeah yeah you know <laughs> yeah well uh, what you were saying about playing with genre and reinventing it the my greatest thrills in a movie theater realizing that a movie is doing a certain thing that i already know it's doing but now i understand it like just when you lock into the mode or the tone and it just suddenly reveals itself i didn't have that with carlito's way because i still don't fully like it just doesn't want to be that thing but the structure now that i know that the structure is so clear Mm. and I wonder what, like, I don't think De Palma's ever really made a noir per se, not one of the, no. the straight one, a straight, like a formal one as we would understand it. But, you know, Scarface was a, the original Scarface was kind of, I mean, it was a right. studio backlot kind of noir, kind of, sort of early yeah. on. I mean, in, yeah. just in terms of the morality and the and the trajectory and all of that stuff. But this, uh, his movie wasn't, like his movie, his version of Scarface is just this, giant neon red coke smear uh and not in a negative way it is what it is like it does it is absolutely the film that he wanted to make yeah but i prefer carlito i think just because i mean one thing is it's shorter but it also it echoes scarface in really interesting ways just the 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 knowingness of gail is pretty much exactly the same function that Mm -hmm. michelle pfeiffer serves in scarface the the moment she sees the pacino character each woman sees right through him and finds something they like. That's right. And that's the, that, that's the deviation, right? There, there is, there's more, I think it's more genuine in Carlito's way because Gail doesn't have the corrupted arc that, that Pfeiffer's character has. I can't remember her character's names. Simone? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, but, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> They're but, unfortunately, but yeah. it's. But she's destroyed by the world they live in and Gail isn't. There, that's there's right. like, there's the illusion of purity that he clings to all the way to the end of the film. Um, and it's not, in Penelope Ann Miller's performance, I don't think it's an illusion. I think she genuinely is a good person who's just doing this job in a bad world. That's right. And the movie doesn't judge her for it. Other, like other characters do, but Carlito doesn't and the movie doesn't. And so we're on his side and therefore we're on their side. And that's, like De Palma doesn't often give you hope in his movies, right? Like that's not a thing, it's not a note he plays. That's so true. And it's like, you know, even the hope of, of of the end, you know, of just, you know, you know, and, and the idea that I think it's like, for me, when I can see a bit of, um, I don't know, I think maybe the word is tenderness. I don't know, something that is, that that is about a cycle and something about 
a rebirth or, or something even with, with like within the genre and that's something that's not common <laughs> in a yeah. Palma film no and he's so, not a big redemption guy no and it's like you know so but that's exactly I love how you point out that 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 um you know Penelope and, and Miller's character and the judgment is coming from the other characters um and she is this person that's that's in this world and she was actually left by this man and and um and she you just felt like she she loved him she saw him more and there was this like idea of the one person or the one thing that could save this man is this woman and um and he knows it but this this idea of 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 uh, loyalty to the wrong person um and the idea that she's you know she gets pregnant and or you know in this in and, and, and this idea of of, of perhaps that you know Carlito still escapes with her but in a different way yeah you know? um those sort of uh, little, little ideas that that i that i just viscerally felt or just came to me that that I, again it's like you know um i'm i i don't know if if it was whose influence it was to kind of steer things that way with a, with working with a De Palma. I'm not sure what that, that, that personality is like yeah. <laughs> to some degree, but it's like, you know, um, it's a fascinating, fascinating, mature approach to that, the genre, you know, in itself that I, that, that I, that I, that's what appeals to me as well. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty cool that way. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm assuming that that's mostly David Kep, right? Like, He's Absolutely. having he's having that year. He's he's written he's writing Jurassic Park right around the same time. He's just um, brilliant he's writer, right? So, yeah, and the genre go to guy. Yes, like he knows the bones of these things inside and out. So I think that's got to be it. It must have been on the page before De Palma ever got it. Because the other thing I found out was that they were going to uh, Martin Bregman, the producer, was going to give it to John McKenzie, the guy who made the Long Good Friday. Oh wow! Which could have been interesting, right? Like that. It's been really interesting. Yeah, completely different tonally, but yeah. And I'm wondering, even when you brought up about, you know, the poem even mentioning, oh, this, the intention, and then maybe why. I'm wondering if what what I don't know. It's fascinating if if there was this pressure or something from the studio or something to that sh that that sh you know said this idea. I don't know if it's sellable. I don't know if we sh if we go with this tone. You have to do something with it, or if it was like De Palm being like, okay, this is. I don't really know that story because it's fascinating where, you know, those filmmakers at a time that were quite maverick in a certain way and doing being like very bold. Um, oh, yeah. What would stop him? From executing something that he really saw a certain way, what would make him shift? And say, oh, was it just maybe? Maybe I'm really curious about that process. I don't know how I'd find out, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing of where an intention or a vision of, a, and then and then where what hands come in and what what sh what shapes it, and um, and then we end up watching something and not really really knowing that story is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I like the material and the special features are all pretty much standard studio marketing we're not going right. to get a lot of detail about how you know like there were there were drafts or there were evolutions or, or recuts um it's i'm just trying to think like he had come off 
a pretty low cycle in the De Palma career. Like he'd made the Bonfire of the Vanities three years before and, and Raising Cain was his cheap comeback. The one he followed it with this Baroque psycho knockoff, which is fun, but it's not great cinema. And then he suddenly gets the keys to this giant machine. And based on this, he ends up doing Mission Impossible also with Kep. And it's like, there's the partnership being forged of two guys who can navigate the studio somehow Right. and convince them to let them do the next thing. But it's this weird... He occupies, maybe more than anyone else, he occupies this really strange space. Oliver Stone maybe comes close. And I guess, you know, he wrote Scarface, so there's a connection there. But this 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 person who spends a lot of time telling you how much of a maverick they are and then mm -hmm. works for the studios all the time and just like <laughs> right. does a string of big expensive movies... And it's like he's selling the flavor, right? Like he's selling himself as the aspect that they need. Absolutely, it's almost like he 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 becomes he becomes a commercial entity, mm -hmm. you know, that can actually claim, you know, I'm the Maverick in this in this machine, and uh, doing what I want. And I found this way to do this 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 work. But I mean, it's it's incredible, even in the course of his career. I mean, he was what seventy nine now or something. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and it's like, um, yeah, he's he's had some some misses <laughs> sure. and some hits and, and and some very very interesting choices. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those guys. I haven't seen the most recent one, uh, Domino, that came out just last year, but he is one of those guys whose failures can be as interesting or at least as instructive as his successes, just because he never puts himself out of it. It's like Coppola. It's like um, Scorsese's a bad example because Scorsese doesn't work in the same, like he doesn't do the same thing as right. as the show. Like Scorsese somehow manages to be a showman who works the showmanship into the narrative. He That's bakes right. it in in a way that De Palma doesn't or, or Coppola doesn't. And there is this, this sort of war going on. Coppola was another one who just started, like right around this time, he was making Jack with Robin Williams and all those weird studio pictures in the 90s. <laughs> Um, maybe it was just that. Maybe the studios just had a lot of money and threw it at everybody. And these guys are just hitting their fifties and starting to get a little yeah. concerned with comfort or, or, or safety or security, or even just future stuff. You're less interested in your legacy. You're more interested in getting good jobs right now. Right. I mean, right. God knows I, I could be tempted by a good catering package right now. <laughs> I've hit that point in my life. Right. It's, it's, it's absolutely true. And I think it's like, yeah, some of these individual, I mean, you know, what, what, what a journey they've had of, of, you know, it's fascinating. I was the idea of coming from, you know, this independent space or, or whatever in the building in this sort of thing. And, and, and then being part of this, this big studio and, um, and how your career, you know, they had the space to, to somewhat depend on it and, and lean on it. Um, and then think of someone like a you know Norman Jewison who like they started yeah. in television. They all had to start in television, and then they become these these amazing filmmakers. And they never really go back to television. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, why would you? Why look would at, you look right? at what you get to work with when you're making a studio picture? Like even Absolutely. even Bocus was a prestigious production at the time for for Jewison. It's one of those things yeah. where you just realize you've you've watched this career culminate in this, yeah. and then he kept working, which was good but you know the older he got every film had to make more of a statement more of a return um 
De Palma doesn't seem to have that. Like he doesn't have that compulsion to keep working. He's only made two or three movies since Femme Fatale, which was like his last big statement. And that was right. what, 2004. 2004. Um, wow. Yeah. But he seems to be one of those guys who also brings his tech package. Like he doesn't, he, even the stuff he makes for, for hire, he never really seems to half-ass it. I think he just, even if he intends to at the beginning of the project, he just gets caught up in it and he can't help himself. And, you know, like let's do a, an amazing single take chase scene, or let's come up with a confrontation that no one's ever seen before. Or um, what was the other one the example I kept thinking of? Like the splits, the two split screen single takes in, or the, the split screen one or in Femme Fatale, which right. actually stops to parody itself in the course of the shot and then gets back onto the story that it's telling. It's like, I want to let him do that. I, I want that from him. I want those moments. And Carlito's way feels like the one where he is just luxuriating and having these resources at his disposal in a way that he didn't on Bonfire of the Vanities because you got yeah. the sense that was such a chaotic production that he never really got the handle on it. Yeah, This, this yes. is a movie that knows what it is and where it's going and so he can luxuriate in that stuff. Yes, that's very, very true. And it's like, you feel that where, yeah, it's fascinating that you mentioned that because even when I think of, you know, just Untouchables or... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, some other, when I, when I think about what kind of resources that, because he is, I do like the idea that he, 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 he tries things. He mm -hmm. does try and he, he's a bit, um, I don't know, yeah, like a bit experimental with the medium at times, but he's, you know, I think it's like that, that kid who wants the, you know, access to the big toy box so yeah. I can mess around with some things and, and um, he's managed to do that, and but he's but he's also, and I think that why it brings back to like Carlitos as well for me, he's um, I don't know. There's something that I find again like there's still, and not because it's you know the film was made in the '90s or whatever from when I watch it now, but but for me there was some sort of classic isms in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that I that I that I like that he was, I I would love to see him do something of that tone, or 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 or, or I don't know expand on that in in a way. Um, I don't know. I there's something about because I'm not really sure if if he's if he's really continued how much he's continued to work with. Uh, oh, the writer of uh, Carlitos, um, David. Oh, Kep. Well, Kep. Yeah, I don't think he has. I think um, I'm trying to remember the last. It might have just been that little window, um, in the '90s. Because didn't right. he? Did uh, Kep? Did Kep write Snake Eyes? Yes, he uh, did. I'm just double checking. Okay. Kep and De Palma wrote Snake Eyes together, which okay. I think is probably why they don't work together anymore. <laughs> After that, it was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> yeah, but it is like it's it's a. I assume De Palma came up with the story on that one and then kept fleshed it out and gave it structure because the whole real time concept and the single take stuff that goes on in there, those are all him. That's all De Palma just going, and I want this and I want this and I need that. And I also want Nicolas Cage to at some point have a walnut on his eye because I want to show an eye, an eye a black right. eye swelling up in real time. And it's like, that is not what that looks like, <laughs> but he's into it. So he can't not do it going in the weeds, right? Like you just have to get caught up. It's like, it's amazing. Like, yeah, I guess that generated, I mean, I can't even imagine, 
you know, with individual like Brian De Palma and working with him, I'm not saying he's a nice guy or not a nice guy, but that sort of, you know, authority that he was. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sure, you know, that ego is not, 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 um, <laughs> not light. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, how many times has he done under Odessa step scene? Like that's a thing he quotes a lot. And to the point where I think, you know, it's not like Ridley Scott stealing the step frame thing for the beginning of Gladiator from Saving Private Ryan and then using it in every subsequent movie to the point where I think he thinks he invented it. <laughs> exactly right. But De Palma, like when he does an Odessa Steps, I don't groan. It's just like, oh, cool. He's going to do it again. So he'll find Wait. a new variation. Like it's just like a riff, like a guitar riff in the middle of a song. That it's playfulness, so right? I, I, I do. And, and, and. I don't think you can analyze these details. It's fantastic, Norm. Um, because those are the little things that I think that are like, um, that again, like, you know, again, I, I would say like, I respect his work. I wouldn't say he's one of my, you know, like faves and all this stuff. But then you, I, this is the kind of things that I take away from his work, right? Yeah, and you yeah. See that and, and early on and, and just exploring the work. And then you're like, what's my thing? You know, what can I do? And I think it's, um, it's pretty cool because he still, I think, you know, despite it all, it's, it's just, um, he's a storyteller and he likes what he likes. Yeah. And, um, and he, and he, and he, and he takes, he takes the swing, like he swings at it. So, um, win, lose or draw. I think that it's also, um, you know, it's, it's bold. It's a bold approach to this craft. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I'm always been 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 curious about, about these this this group of Italian filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know what is it about these guys that were so damn bold? These Italian Americans to like you know infiltrate you know the Hollywood system and and impose these sort of real you know um, these real sort of visionary perspectives on violence and culture and 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 this storytelling in America. You know, yeah. Um, it's just a very fascinating group of uh, filmmakers because you know we talk about Iñárritu and and um, you know. Um, oh, the, like the, the Del Toro, the, the three amigos, right? The Coron and Del Toro, and, and like you know, and and just like it's just an interesting period of of filmmakers and and culturally and their perspectives and and um, and they're all bold and they don't they're not shy. <laughs> You know, yeah. so I'm like, Canadians, we got to do that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we have a cohort now. Like there's there's your cohort. And then there's the, co the group that came along 10 years later that's who right. are doing micro stuff in a way that's new and alive and electric. Exactly. And, and yeah. you guys are getting bigger because you've reached the point where like Nurse Fighter Boy was such an intimate, small film that told a big story that your canvas just keeps expanding. And... I mean, what happens in Achilles Escape? It's shot in two countries. It's all over the place, like uh, geographically in Toronto. It does. It takes place in two separate timelines. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't want to give away anything about the, the the plot of the film, but the structure of it is really clever. It, there's a 25 year span of events, and you shot in New York and Toronto, and you shot all over Toronto. It's not just like the three locations near the production offices. Yes, there's a sense of scale and scope that's that's happening, and and you know I've been I've been lucky enough to witness the evolution of Canadian cinema mm. each time, like the 90s and the zeros, and and now or five years ago really when that all started, um, and it's 
great to see the different waves coming because you get to see how they echo through each other. And, you know, uh, you're right. Achilles Escape is definitely influenced by Coppola, Scorsese, and and uh, De Palma in ways it, that I wouldn't have even considered until we had this conversation, but it's <laughs> definitely there. Yeah. But it's also a Toronto movie through and through with, like, I mean, you have an American star, but... And Saul Williams is amazing, and you should have Saul Williams in your movie whenever possible. I just I realized it's, I Slam is what like nineteen ninety seven or ninety eight. Ninety eight. Is that the last time he carried a film? Pretty much. He's, he's been working, but this is a he's lead. He's a lead, and 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 you know, and the story with that was, you know, um, I met him in New York when I was um, going to theater school there. I used oh, wow. to go to New York and Cafe, and the poets hang out there, and I'm just absorbing this culture connect with this guy and then basically like um slam comes out and is at tiff and i'm end up at the screening and i see him and he's like hey hey and then we build this relationship i mean he he does the opening narration in, in mighty jerome and that's a film i made in 2010 right i'd boy. forgotten that and it's like, so we've been building this relationship and I've, you know, told him about the story and this film, but it was never going to come to him until I was ready. And, but this guy has had this incredible career, but I was, I was like, you know, I thought, oh man, probably by the time I'm ready to do this film, he'll be, be lucky if I get him. Yeah. And it, and it's, and it's blows my mind that, I mean, yes, he's this artist that has, you know, rights and makes music and, and, and it's incredible, but he hasn't carried a film. He hasn't really been challenging and seen a certain way. I mean, he's a Morehouse grad. Like he's studied theater. Like he's, you know, he's a fully fledged, you know, trained actor. And it's and it's incredible. Like that, um, that I still see that that I was just curious to see him do something different. And he was so game for that. And and you know, have to actually get physical with things and learn new things and. And that brother's like, he's not, he's anti-guns. Like, you know, just him holding one in this film was like, you know, we had to, we had to, but he invested so much and he's so committed to, to the craft. And, and it was, it was amazing. I just really felt like it was, um, it was this long time building of, of, uh, and who he is and, he has a son that's that's was very is very close to the age of the boy in the film. And, oh yeah, and um and yeah, so it's I, I love that he got enough. We we created a little space for him to to carry something and and show some other colors and yeah yeah, it's a honor to work with Saul and and the music that he contributes to the film as well is pretty special and. I was just like, I want this to be a, a Saul Williams vanity project. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get it. I got to milk you for everything now because who knows when I get this opportunity, you know? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it's, um, it was so great to see him. Just the authority that he, he packs into his shoulders in that one early shot that I'm not going to discuss, but yes, that yes. you know which one I mean. It's just like, it's so great to see him hold the frame and, and do that thing of, of presence that he brought to that I haven't seen him do since slam and it was just yeah. it's been a long time coming it's so time yeah yes. and also in a weird way it's a Carlito's way kind of thing right like it's the return of an authority to a character who hasn't had much for a while and we get the sense that William's character like Aquila isn't terribly high on the chain yes in his world Absolutely. but when he needs to 
invoke his own authority, it comes to him. Exactly. And that's where it's like, it's fascinating. You can just look at Slam and, and his performance and how wild it is and how, how he is as that, that young man, like how many years ago. And that's almost like the Scarface, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then it's, and then it's like, here he is as Aquila and that's almost like the Carlito, you know? Um, and, it's, and it's just interesting, the span of, 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 of just seeing an artist and, and, you know, from when they're younger and then when they're, they have some experiences and they've seen some things and, and just what that is and his groundedness was, was, um, is just incredible. Um, and, and I really love that for this young actor, Tamela, who, who plays, you know, Shepard and young Aquila, just for the two of them, I wanted, you know, I wanted, I wanted Tam to actually spend time with this man because he's such a young, he's such a young, talented, gifted. He's also an amazing musician and artist and people don't even know that about this kid. Um, but to have Saul as a mentor is like a fascinating thing. And to see how they synergized and connected and became pals was, was beautiful. And um, one last thing about that was the cool thing, like J Jake um, Yanowski, my, my, the produce, co-producer and uh, my, my producing partner, um, he grew up in Chicago, born and raised, and we're talking about casting and, and he's like, Charles, what about Vic Mensa playing like this character Prince? And I said, Vic Mensa is brilliant. I would love to work with him. And he's like, okay, cool. I'll reach out to him. And I'm like, what? Yeah, we grew up together. He's from Chicago. Like he went to school with my sister and <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, sure, hit him up. And then he's like, and you know that, because it's amazing about Jake again. He's like, and you know what? Um, Saul Williams is his mentor. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's filling me in on... <laughs> this continuity <laughs> of artists. This continuity of the artist, and like I'm like, are you serious? And then it's like, reach out to Vic. Rest assured, we sent him the script. He said, "I'm in." Saul's in it. I'm in it. Um, it's crazy. And that was amazing. It was really incredible because I think it was well a year prior. We're you know we're building the film. We went out. We were in New York, and we got together with Saul and a few friends. And I'm in, we're in Brooklyn, and we're just sitting on the stoop, and I'm watching like Jake, you know, just hang and 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 just just reason with Saul on the stoop about all these stories and books and stuff. And that was when I was like, this kid is brilliant. I'm, I've, I found gold here. He, he, he knows so much and he's able to hang with these folks and gets it. And again, it's like, it's also taken a long time to make this film because I also believe as much as I like know the system has things in, are in play, but, but things happen when you're also ready for them. And sometimes, you know, and I tell, told Jake this specifically, I said, you know, this film couldn't have been made without you and I didn't know you when I was, so I had to meet you so that we can make this film together. And at the time when I was writing this thing, like I did not know he existed, yeah. you know? And, um, and the connection of like Ron Mann bringing us together. So it's pretty amazing cycle of people and here we are and, and it's, uh, and, and Ronnie Rowe, yeah friend of the show that blew my mind when you sent me that note today oh that's right so for list i, I will explain this to the listeners because i think it's great um the one of uh, carlito's way was one of two movies you you put forward for the podcast the other one was let in uh which ronnie Rowe had done i guess three years ago when black cop was at tiff right. and uh i 
didn't know yet that Ronnie Rowe played Akilah's dad when I told you that. And it's just like, oh, and here he is. And so, of course, the circle. It's uh, uh, Yes, Toronto's a small town uh, creatively, but th- that is amazing. And uh, Olenike also plays his mom. She's also done the podcast. Uh, that was yeah. fun. And yeah, it's just, you know, this is this will be episode 298 of someone else's movie, which is ridiculous. Uh, but serious? Uh, yeah, five and a half years. I've just been working my way through everybody. And now we're just getting all these echoes and bounce backs and it's it's wonderful. I think it's fantastic. And also I think Ronnie would be really happy to hear that uh, he scooped you. Oh, this is amazing. I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna add some words for him for scooping me, man. On that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is brilliant, this archive that you're building, or it's it's um Oh, thank you. It is wonderful and it's important and it's uh and I just respect your your dedication and 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 commitment and and, and just being a cinema lover. Like oh. at the end of the day, we gotta review things, we make the work, whatever, but I think it all comes from uh, a love for the meat for, for this form and um and that's where i think is that's that's community that that's union that to me when you you know can really just bond over cinema and storytelling and and talk about and dissect and it's it's just i don't know i it, it's the most brilliant thing it's the oh, coolest thing no i get that it's all i want to do honestly and and you know the the lockdown and the 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 pandemic. I was never interested in doing remote episodes of the podcast because I felt like you would lose the personal connection and the, just the spontaneity. But we found a way to make it work, all of us collectively, because there's no other option. Yeah. But I I think it's actually helping. I think it's um, in a weird way, like talking to people over a screen about something we've experienced on a screen connects that too somehow. It, it creates an unspoken. Um, like an understanding of the medium that we're discussing. It's weird though, but it's not bad. It's actually pretty cool. You, you can make that connection. It's, 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 um, it is a different experience. And I, and I still feel it's, in, I feel it's intimate. I feel mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's also, again, it's like the, the, the marrying of, 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 of uh, the content of what we're doing and, and actually the form that we're actually doing it in. And yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and it makes really, really, it makes perfect sense actually. I think you should continue to do it like this. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm certainly open yeah, to, the, to the long distance ones now, but I cannot wait to have people over again. That would oh, just be, works. that would be nice. So the next time we do this, we'll do this in person. And I, and I, hopefully I won't be like 398. <laughs> let's get me in. Let's come back sooner. It's <laughs> a nice symmetry to it. We'll figure something out. Yeah. We'll figure something out. All right. It's amazing. My thanks to Charles Officer, whose new film, Achilles Escape, has its world premiere at TIFF this Saturday, September 12th, at the West Island Open Air Cinema at Ontario Place. It's also screening at the TIFF Bell Lightbox Sunday, September 13th at 9.15pm, and as of 6pm Tuesday, September 15th, you can stream it across Canada at Bell Digital Cinema. You should seek it out. You can find Charles on Twitter at Sugar, all one word, C-A-N-E-S-U-G-A-R, and you can find Carlito's Way on Blu-ray and DVD from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days in addition to writing about film, television, and the Toronto International Film Festival. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network, too. They're good. 
stay inside, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, and come back Friday for the second TIFF episode. It's a good one.